Amen. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, I just want to say before we even get into the message, uh, just that song, it just occurred to me, when we sing that kind of a song, we're singing, you know, it's coming on our voices or all of our voices combined together and we're, we're uh, making this loud noise for God. That's not a noise where we're trying to convince God to show up, okay? That's not what that is. It's not like, you know, I'm always reminded of the, the prophet's of Baal when Elijah was up on Mount Carmel. Go ahead, get out here. When, when, uh, <laughs> when, when Elijah was up against the prophets of Baal and they're on Mount Carmel and, and uh, they're saying, you know, who's going who's gonna to show up? Whoever's God shows up is the real God. And the prophets of Baal are dancing around. They're cutting themselves and they're making all the loud ruckus all they can. And they're saying, listen, look, Baal, you got to show up. Look how serious we are about this guy. Uh, Baal, we're going to cut ourselves. That's how serious. We're going to bleed for you. And, uh, and Baal never shows up. But God shows up when Elijah says, God, show yourself, right? This is not, when we come in worship, we're not, we're not trying to trump up some kind of energy and saying, we need you to be here. Come be here, be here. Please be here. Please just show up. God, we're saying, God, we know you're here and we want to experience you. We worship you. We love you. And so that's why we're here and that's why we're singing. So I don't ever want to be, uh, have confusion about that. And I love how that's actually two different songs. So the first song, and then we combine it with the, the tail end of that song, the, the not for a minute was I forsaken. And that's really important to me because of that thing right there where it, it's, it's that idea that we're not, we're not here be, pl uh, begging and pleading and groveling at the feet of God to just, to just show up just a little bit. No, God's here, right here. And we get to experience him, and he's already here, and he's already in this place. And yet, every Sunday morning, we gather together and we say, Holy Spirit, come. We want to we experience you. We want to know you. We welcome you when we, we ask you to come into this place. And so that's what we're doing with that song. And I just want to make sure you all know that um, because that's important to me. So, well, good morning. How are you doing? We, we doing all right this morning? It's good to see you all. Um, it's good to see your faces from about here up, most of you, right? So it's good to see this part uh, of your face. Um, uh, this morning we're going to go into a uh, message that we call the uh, junk drawer message. It's a junk. It's the ju a junk. It's not even a series. It's basically a bunch of stuff that we just kind of throw into the junk drawer until we can pull it out and, and get it later. It's not. Doesn't mean that the message is junk. At least I hope not. I don't think so. Um, but that's where we're going to be this morning. So we are going to look uh, at a passage of scripture today from the book of Romans. Surprise, surprise. I think we touch on Romans every single Sunday. I love the book of Romans. There's a lot of well course there's a lot of truth there but uh there's a lot of truth that i love to hear and to speak on and to teach you out of so we're going to go to romans again and we're going to go to chapter 12 but normally when we go to romans chapter 12 we start with verse 1 because that's where you start at the beginning right uh romans chapter 12 verse 1 is really familiar though it's this that's the passage of scripture that says um to to uh therefore um excuse me not not therefore but uh, we're going to offer our bodies or offer your bodies as living and holy, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, right? That's that scripture. So it's really familiar kind of passage of scripture. Um, and, then, and then obviously there's more to that. But we're going to go to verse 9. And we're going to start in, in chapter 12, verse 9, because everything that we, that I say this morning is going to spring out of the first part of verse 9, okay? The first sentence is where this entire message comes from, and, uh, and I love the message that it is. So it's Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and it says this. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. So that's where we're going to stop this morning. Now, it continues to go on. Um, when you look at that passage, when you look at the rest of, of Romans chapter 12, he talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice, um, not paying back evil for evil, blessing those who persecute you and all. So there's more instructions there. There's more to this list that Paul is talking about. But I think stopping where we do, we can get a picture for what I really want to talk about this morning. And that is the first part of verse 9 that says, let love be without hypocrisy. Because my focus this morning is not another list, okay? It's not uh, another list of things to do and to not do. And, and, and then end the sermon with encouraging you to do or not do those things. That's not what we're about. That's usually how this kind of scripture goes. That's usually where people will take this kind of a, a list of instructions of, of do this and don't do this. And if, you're, if Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, so you want to do these things, right? Um, but my focus this morning is the first part of verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, and I really want to explore that. What does that mean? What does it mean for love to be without hypocrisy? Or another version would say, let love be genuine. What does genuine love, what does that mean? Well, the context that you need to know for this scripture, the book of Romans, okay, it's not just this scripture, but the book of Romans, the context of this verse is, is Paul, he's not writing to the general public, all right? Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to the church, and, and uh, to the church then, he writes, let love be without hypocrisy. And he writes, let love be without hypocrisy to the church, like let your love not be hip hypocritical, let your love be genuine, not to the whole world, that's not what he's saying, I mean, I'm sure he would say that too, but it, what he's saying is he's writing this to the church in Rome, let love be without hypocrisy in the church. In the church. Because when you look at the rest of, the, of, of Romans 12, he's, he writes these other things. So in verse 4 he says, Just as, as many, or excuse me, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so there are many of us, we are one, you know, one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It's, it's the same kind of language that we read last week when we read from 1 Corinthians 12, if you remember that. It's body language, all right? I think that's a good name for a series. We should, name it, we should do a, a sermon series called Body Language. And it's body language, not in the sense that Daniel is shaking his head back there. It's, it's, it's body language in the sense that this is, what does the language of the body, of the church body, what does that say about the church, about us? So it's, it's, it's that kind of a thing. And Paul's continuing with that and he says you know he says since we have gifts that differ according to grace given us each of us should exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the portion of his faith if service and serving and so on and so on and so on so he's giving instructions to the church okay instructions to the church about how to be united how to be a body how to work as one body and in that context then he says let your love be without hypocrisy let love be genuine in the church and the fact that Paul is addressing that to the church in Rome, it tells me that it's something for us to explore for the church here in Frankfort, Kentucky. 
And isn't it funny, and funny is not the right word, isn't it uh, curious, isn't it uh, interesting or telling that the subject that Paul writes about here and this, and when you look at it, largely the New Testament, outside of the Gospels, most of the language that he uses, the most of his, his writings are about, here's how you function as a body. Here's what the church is supposed to be doing with one another and for one another. And here's how you live together in unity. Here's how you operate. You can't operate out on your own. You're operating within the body in, in, because an arm can't just decide to run off and be, a, be an arm on its own. No, it has to be connected to the body in order to be an arm. So all of this language that Paul is using, it's so much of the New Testament that Paul is addressing these things. He's addressing how does the, the church function in unity, and sometimes how do you even just exist in the same space? I mean, when you look at Romans in this, when he ends this section of scripture with, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everybody. It's just like, you know what? Just find a way to get along, if nothing else, okay? But this subject of how the church is to function and, and, and how, how it's operating, how much of the New Testament addresses this? So much. It is enormous. It is honestly an enormous amount outside of the Gospels. It's most of what we have. And for 2,000 years, the church has been working at this. For 2,000 years, we've been trying to figure this out. And for the most part, I don't think we've done it. <laughs> we don't know how to do it. We don't know what we're doing with this. The exact subject of the arguments might be different. It looks different through the years. You know, at one point, the church was fighting, do we eat pork or not eat pork, right? We, we don't mostly fight about that anymore. Some people still do, right? But it's not the main subject of the argument. Later on, it was, do we baptize infants or do we baptize adults? Literally, the church was killing members of the church for baptizing adults. That's what they were fighting about, right? Now we're fighting about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. What is it? Why is it? Seriously, why, why do we do this? What is it about this? We say things like, I can't believe so-and-so is wearing a mask. I can't believe so-and-so isn't wearing a mask. I can't, uh, listen, listen, you shouldn't live in fear. Well, you shouldn't endanger your brothers or your sisters. Do you see the argument that's happening? We go back and forth on this. I don't think I can go to that church anymore. Nobody's wearing a mask there. I can't go to that church anymore because they're all sheep and they're all wearing masks. They're just doing what they're told. It's the fight, excuse me. It's the fight that we have, right? We're constantly battling something. And I'm just using the mask as an issue because I think it's a stupid issue. I think, excuse my language, Miles, my son. We don't use that. It's silly. That's the language we use in my house. It's a silly issue. It really is. For us to split and us to divide and us to say, I can't do that with that church, with those people anymore, it really is silly. You plug in whatever issue that you want. But Paul says, we are members of one body, individual members of one another. It's part of the, his, literally what he says in verse 5. He says, we are members of one body and so members of one another. That's how we live and breathe and we function within the church. And it's almost like the church has an autoimmune disorder within the body where the body is attacking itself from within saying, you don't belong here, you don't belong here, I don't recognize you as part of me, so I'm going to do what I have to to get you out of here, right? Why is it? What is it? Why does the church do that? Why have we done it for 2,000 years? 
I think Paul's words in verse 9 can offer something in that regard. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love in the church for your brothers and your sisters, let love in the body be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? And how do we do it? Well, first, what's hypocrisy? I think any teenager in America can give you the definition of being hypocritical. That's the number one thing, right? Teenagers in America, you're such a hypocrite. You're fake. That's what it means, right? It's saying one thing and doing another. It's saying I love you uh, um, and, and never being there. It's saying I have these values or hold these ideas as very important to me, but then acting in a way that's inconsistent with that. The dictionary definition is this. Hypocrisy is a feigning or pretending, a feigning to be what one is not or to believe what one does not, behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel, especially false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. So specifically, it's tied to religion in so many contexts, right? It's pretending or it's saying I believe these things and not doing these things. So what does love without hypocrisy mean? Well, most of us, when we read a scripture like Paul writes here in, in these verses, he lists these things. Most of the church, most of us would take that, and you can choose any list, and we say, all right, Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy, and then he gives these lists. So if I say I love you, and I do these things, then I'm, then I'm love is without hypocrisy, because that fits with the definition that we understand hypocrisy to mean. So I got to do these things. I abhor evil. I cling to good. I devote myself or we devote ourselves to one another. We're diligent. We're fervent. We're contributing to the needs of one another. We're practicing hospitality. If we do those things, then we'll be loving without hypocrisy because we're doing the things. But pay attention. Pay attention. Doing things on the list because you think you ought to or because you think you're supposed to does not mean you're doing them in love. Doing the things on the list because you think you're supposed to or because that's what the loving thing would be to do, but not really having love is loving. In, it's it's hip, hypocritical. It's being hypocritical. That's hypocrisy. Following this list close, as closely as you can and following the instructions that I ought to do or that I should, but not doing them in love and saying I'm doing them out of love, but really doing them out of duty or out of obligation, that's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Do you see the trouble with, with doing the list of things that I ought to do, but not really doing them out of love? It's, it's not acting out of a genuine uh, motivation of love. When Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites, it wasn't because they weren't doing the stuff. They were they said, these are the things we believe, these laws. We live out and we walk these laws. So they were doing the stuff. So how can Jesus call them hypocrites? They were saying they did the stuff. They did the stuff. Why were they hypocrites? Because it was duty and have to and it ought to and should. Not because it's what I want to do. Not because I'm motivated by love for God or for one another. Matthew 23, Jesus calls out the Pharisees over and over and over. He says, woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Does it eight times in that, in that passage. There's eight woes, and they're all in relation to doing the law, completing the list of requirements, but not being motivated by love. 
for God or for other people. We're doing the things because I say I believe these things, so I'm doing the things. How am I a hypocrite? You're a hypocrite because you're not doing them out of love. You're doing them because they're a list of things that you think you should do, that you ought to do. You're praying the eloquent prayers, but not because you want to talk to God, because you want to impress other people and because you're supposed to pray that many times a day. You wash the outside of the cup, but you ignore the dirty inside. In other words, you say you believe these things, you do these things, but you're not motivated by genuine love for God or for one another. That's the hypocritical part. That's what Jesus calls hypocritical. Doing the actions without wanting to. Being obligated to do them. Fulfilling the laws and the requirements, but out of duty and obligation, not because your heart wants to. Look up the term Christian duty sometime. You guys heard that? You heard that term before? It is our Christian duty to blank. You fill, in, you fill in the blank there. It is your duty to volunteer. It is your duty to serve in the kids department. It is your Christian duty to serve the poor. It is your Christian duty to help one another. I read a sermon this week that listed five duties of Christians. The five duties of Christians. And the first duty that was listed in this sermon that we have to do as a Christian is we have a duty to display Christian love. According to that sermon, we have a duty to display Christian love, which sounds great on the surface, doesn't it? But when I read that phrase, the duty to display Christian love, for me, it reeks of hypocrisy because it's duty. It's not love. It's duty. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love within the church be genuine. You know what I know about love? You can't fake it. You can't fake it. You can probably do loving things. You can probably do loving behaviors that will be interpreted as being done out of love, but eventually the real motivation shines through. I have to, I need to, I have a duty to. And how does that come across? How does it come across to the person that is receiving that duty, your actions of duty? That's not love. That doesn't come across as love. If I get my wife flowers because I'm required to, because the law says I have to, she doesn't understand that as love. If I do it because I feel like I have to in order to maintain a relationship with her, that's not love. That's obligation. I'm not acting out of love. I'm acting out of obligation. And when I act out of obligation or I act out of duty to tell somebody that you love them, and you're acting out of love, but, and, 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 but you're, to tell somebody you, you love them, to tell somebody you're acting out of love for them, but then you reveal that it's really only out of obligation, it's not love. It's noise. It's annoying, loud, intrusive noise. That's how it comes across. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. All these are great things, right? And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Because actions done giving lip service to love, but actually done out of obligation, done out of oughts or shoulds or, or duty, 
nothing. It's nothing. Remember Romans 12? We didn't read the first part of it. But it starts out with, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul wrote that. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul encourages us to do that. But in 1 Corinthians 13, the same Paul, the same guy who wrote that, verse 3 says, if I do that, if I offer my body, if I surrender my body to be burned by the flames, but I don't have love, it's nothing. Let love be without hypocrisy. Why is this so important? Why is it so important? Why not just do behaviors in the name of love for the sake of the church, even if I don't want to? Why not fake it till I make it? Because hypocrisy in love leads to mistrust. Hypocrisy leads to mistrust. When we enter into the church and the church says one thing, but acts another way towards me, I don't trust that church anymore. That's our first definition of hypocrisy, isn't it? When they say they care about me, but they don't act in a way that cares about me, I don't trust that church. And when I enter into a church that says one thing, that does that thing, but then I find out later on that it was just out of obligation and not love, how can I trust anything you've ever done for me? How can I trust, how can I believe that you ever cared about me? Because what you just did for me was out of obligation, not out of love. See how hypocrisy breeds mistrust. One of the things about doing things out of obligation when we don't really want to do them is that at some point we're going to miss. At some point we're going to forget. At some point we're going to make a mistake. And if I am individually or if the church as a whole, is acting out of obligation. When I fail to do that, when I fail, when I miss that mark, that thing that is expected of me once, I lose the trust of the person who's expecting me to do that. And they're expecting me to do my duty because they are expected to do their duty. And that cycle of duty works, and it's great until somebody misses it, until somebody makes a mistake. I'm going to call Emily out. She keeps laughing every time I say the word duty. (laughs) And I know why. (laughs) And it's not lost on me that it smells like that when we do things out of duty. Do you understand that? It's true. So I'm going to keep saying it, and you keep laughing. I'm okay with that, all right? But this cycle, it works, right? It works until somebody forgets, until somebody makes a mistake and misses it. And then all of a sudden, all those actions that were actually done because people were required to, because it was obligation, that I thought people had done and cared for me, it wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. How can I trust anything that that church has ever done in my life? When we act out of duty and not love, it is hypocrisy. And it will eventually lead to disillusionment of the church, whether that's individual church, whether it's disillusionment of the church as a whole, whether it's disillusionment of these relationships. And I understand that might be a little bit confusing this morning as we talk about this, because when we normally talk about 
being hypocritical within the church, we're normally talking about saying we believe something and then not doing it. So saying we care about the poor, but not serving the poor, not doing anything about it. But I'm saying that it's just as hypocritical to say we believe something, to do the thing that goes along with what we say, but to not be doing it out of love. Here's what I mean. I know of a family, not in this church. I know of a family who are some of the most faithful servers you could ask for. They will show up at events. They serve almost every single Sunday morning in some capacity. They're probably a family of, of big givers. I don't know that for sure, but I assume they are. They're active participants, sometimes organizers of outreaches. They can probably check off every single list that you've got. But I have observed sideways glances, judgmental glances at people that they're serving. I have overheard gossip and judgmental conversations behind the scenes about people that they're serving. I have observed pretty overt disgust at times with people from within the church whom they love and they serve. That's serving out of obligation. That's serving out of show. That's loving hypocritically. Saying that we hold certain values in the church and even doing the behaviors that line up with those values, but not doing it in love. Man, I'm a resounding gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm a piercing, irritating, grating nothingness. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And I believe for 2,000 years, the church has struggled with this right here, with functioning as a body, attacking itself from within, because we don't know how to love without hypocrisy. And that culture that we have created breeds more of the same because it's all we know. Because I, I have to act in a certain way to be accepted. I, I have to do what is expected. It's my duty. It's the thing that I do. And if I fail to do that, if I fail to, to fulfill that obligation, well, then I'm out. And it's not safe to be genuine and act out of who I am. And ge uh, genuine, uh, out, it's not safe to be who I actually am and to act out of who I genuinely am rather than who I'm supposed to be or who I'm supposed to pretend to be and all of that. And we have this culture that breeds it more and more and more and more and more. So how do we love without hypocrisy? How do we function as a body out of love and not out of obligation? First, we have to know what love is. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's perfect love. Don't take it as a list of things you got to do. That's perfect love. That's what perfect love looks like. Guess what? I can't do that. I can't do it. Not perfectly. So if I claim to love you, but then I act impatiently towards you or unkind or jealous or boastful, does that mean I don't love you? No, it means I missed the mark of perfect love. But in a culture that's filled with hypocrisy, a 
a church culture that's filled with hypocrisy where we do things out of obligation and not love, when you don't fulfill that obligation, then it's automatically interpreted as I don't love you. Because if I claim to love you, I'm proving I love you by fulfilling this, this obligation, even though it, that's not really love. And if I forget and I otherwise miss an act of love at some point, it becomes the opportunity to say, see, you don't love me. Otherwise, you'd fulfill that obligation. So how do we get out of the cycle of hypocrisy? How do we get out of that? What does it even look like? Grace is the only way for the church to love without hypocrisy. Grace is the only way for us to exist as a healthy church body. It's the only way. It's the only way. Daniel had an excellent video a couple of weeks ago talking about grace. And in the video he said, my pastor, Pastor Justin, has been talking about grace for a year and a half. Well, guess what? It's only been a year because I started in August. All right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's going to feel that way a lot longer, my friend. <laughs> because where there is no grace, there will always be hypocrisy in love. Where there is no grace, there will always be hypocrisy and love. Why? Because there is a standard, and the standard is this list. And if you miss that, you either have to fake it or you have to get out. If there's not grace in the church, there will be hypocrisy in love in the church. I'm not talking about grace for salvation. It starts with that. But I'm talking about grace for one another as members of the body. If as a church we do not have grace for one another, there cannot be genuine love. In a church culture without grace, I'm fulfilling my obligation to you and the church, and you're fulfilling your obligation to me and the church, and if one of us fails to fulfill that obligation, then we have a problem, and our relationship has a problem, and the greater body has a problem, and we're going to suffer because of it. But in a church culture of grace, we get to be us, and we get to love one another in the church in genuine love. We get to serve one another and check on one another and encourage one another when we're moved to do so. When we're moved to do so because we genuinely have a love for one another, not because it's what I ought to do or because it's what I should do or because I feel required to do it because I saw somebody post something on Facebook and now I have an obligation to say something and if I don't, it's going to be interpreted as me not caring. But it's because that's what I want to do, what we want to do because we love one another and we love the church. And in the culture of grace, we understand then that we're not going to do that perfectly. We're going to miss it sometimes. I understand that you're going to miss the mark on perfect love. And if you say that you love me, I can trust you when you say that you love me, even if my actions or your actions don't always show that. Because there's grace. And we can still have a genuine relationship. This is my dream for the church. Starting with this church. I don't want to stand up here and list a bunch of shoulds and shouldn'ts, ought or ought nots, and say that we're going to do these things and then use guilt and shame to manipulate the church into giving, into serving, into being, into doing. That's not genuine. It's not genuine. 
That's not love for one another or for the body. I don't want people in this body operating out of duty. I don't. Because it looks like duty when you do. I don't want you operating out of obligation. I believe that will only lead to failure and mistrust. You've seen it. I've seen it in church. When we're required and when we're obligated and we mess up, we're treated as though we didn't do it. We didn't do it right. We didn't do the thing we should have done. And now we're on the outside. And that'll lead to mistrust, whether of the church, whether of individuals within the church, or the whole church that we talk about as a whole. And I sincerely believe that for genuine, loving relationships to exist in the church for one another and for the church as a whole, that God's got to do that. I'm not going to stand up here and manipulate into doing that. I believe that that comes from the Holy Spirit living in you, working in you, and maturing you into that. And this has to be a place of grace for us to understand that about one another. And I understand that that picture is a mess. When you look at a church that's trying to live like that, that's a mess. When, when uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation like this with, with a pastor um, in this context, but it's like I can see how a pastor or leadership or just general church members who hear this, this thing, this desire, this is what I want for the church, can step back, and when they determine the health of the church by how many butts are in the seat and how many uh, coins are in the offering bucket and how many volunteers they have running around in the church, that's not their idea of health. But guess what? That picture is not my idea of health because if those are all ob obligations that people are fulfilling, they're not growing. They're just falling in line and meeting that standard that they're expected to. This is a mess if we do this. It's a picture of a church where people openly struggle with sin. It's where people fail one another, not always being there when we were needed. It's a picture of a church that's potentially uh, struggling financially because there is refusal to manipulate parts and use the old law when it suits us. But that's a church that's real. That's a church that's real. That's a church where people are allowed to love without hypocrisy. Because I'm free to love you. I'm free to meet your needs when I genuinely want to be there for you. And I remember it rather than having to do it because I feel like I have to. And grace for one another fills in those gaps where we fall short. Grace for one another fills in those gaps. Knowing that just like I, I've received grace from my Father through Jesus Christ, you have received that grace, now we have that grace for one another. Grace, family, mission. Remember, it all starts with individual, then it goes to the family, and then it goes to the out, outside world. Let love be without hypocrisy. Act, act on the genuine love that you have for one another, but don't fake it till you make it.
Ask God to change those desires. Ask him to give you a heart for, for the people of the church. God, I love you. God, I want to love the people that are in my life in this church. God, help me to want to meet those needs. Give me that desire. Give me the love for that person that is in the church so that I can serve them out of genuine love rather than feeling like I have to or I ought to or I should. And I'm guilty if I don't. I have a friend who spent some time in a hospital. He had a procedure and... Uh, I asked him, I was like, you know, what, 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 do you want, what do you want from me? What do you expect from me on this? Like, do you want me to be there? Do you want me to? And he said, I want you to do what you want to do. I don't, I don't have any expectations for you. I don't have an obligation for you. If you want to be there, be there, and I'll appreciate it. If you don't want to be there, that's fine. I still love you, right? That's a person who has an understanding of grace, and I was in a pastoral position at that point. There are a lot of people who are going to throw a fit and say, well, you didn't even come to see me when I had a runny nose, Right? This was a serious surgery. I have a statement that's written up on the, my whiteboard in my office next to my desk. It's kind of become a philosophy for me in this ministry. And uh, it came to me while I was having a conversation. Um, I just had a conversation with my brother-in-law about church mess and about um, people uh, that are, you know, pretending in relationship to us because they know we're in ministry and so they know they're not cussing because they want to be careful with that and they they want to they they want to present this like purer uh kind of a image for us right but that's not who really who they really are and then i and and then about 10 minutes later i had a conversation with the guy in the office who came in that had some serious sin in his life that we were talking pretty openly and blatantly about right Let's talk about this. Let's get through this stuff. And it occurred to me after both of those things, I was sitting in my office and reflecting on that, and this, this quote or this idea came to me, and it says this. For the church to be effective, there must be sincere and genuine relationships. Genuine relationships require that people not fear reaction when they reveal their true self. I can't do ministry if I don't know you. If the church, in among the church, we don't have genuine relationships enough to reveal our mess, then we, we're not gaining anything. We're not getting anywhere with that. We're patting each other on the back of our fake self then, right? Saying you're doing a great job. Keep going, keep going, doing a great job. When underneath it, man, I'm struggling like, I'm barely keeping my head above water. But I'm not going to tell anybody that because if I tell somebody that, then I'm out, right? It's fake it till you make it. But an understanding of grace makes that statement possible. Grace doesn't gloss over sin. It doesn't permit it. It doesn't make it okay or say, ah, oh, no, don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. It's okay. Keep going. Grace in relationships within the church allows people permission to be themselves. It allows the church to love people for who they are rather than for who they're pretending to be because they're expected to be that. Grace allows room in relationship for speaking the truth in love because 
I can actually know the truth of your situation in your life and of your struggle, and I can walk with you in that. Grace offers real love from the church that says when you aren't loving, we love you. When you aren't kind, we love you. When, we, when, when you act unbecomingly, we love you. When you act arrogantly, we love you. Sure, there's going to be some consequences in your life for that probably, but we love you. So we can walk with you. Not perfectly, but we love you and we want to walk with you. Genuinely. Not out of obligation, not out of shoulds, not out of ought tos, but because we love you. And in that environment of grace, and in that culture of love without hypocrisy, there is freedom to fail and not be shoved out. There's freedom to fail and not be shoved out. And you might say, wait a minute, you're allowing people to fail openly? If you allow people, people are going to fail. So if people have to cover it up when they fail, guess what? They're just going to keep on failing. Or they're going to keep on failing and they're going to leave the church. But if we say this is a place where people have permission to fail and we love you, then we get to walk alongside you and get to a point where we're not having that same failure over and over and over and over. That's why grace has to be the conversation and not standards. That's where real change happens. It might not be the fastest, but I believe it is the most genuine because it's trusting the power of God Almighty within each one of us to do the maturing, to do the changing. It's not behavior manipulation by the pastor. And I can tell you it's a lot easier to grow a church when you tell people they got to do stuff. It is. People will say, I don't want to be told what to do. It's a lot easier when people are faking it than when they're allowed to live in genuine community. It's a lot easier to have a healthy budget when you say, if you don't give 10%, I'm not sure you're saved. People, oh, I'm giving it, right? Right? I want you to do things out of a motivation from the heart that God has put in you and that God is maturing in you rather than it's your duty to do it. Rather than you have to. Rather than it's what is required of you to be a part of this community. I believe that when we're born again, we're actually born again. The spirit of God is actually put inside us and the spirit of God will actually do the maturing. I think we've been trained in this church, or not in this church, but in the church, in the American church especially, that I gotta strap my shoes a little bit tighter and try a little bit harder so that I can see the improvement and I can see the gains. Guess who that leaves out of the picture? Leaves God out of the picture, doesn't it? Back to trying it on my own. We're gonna trust the Holy Spirit to mature us and to grow us. And there might be some things that we gotta do to make that show fruit, but I believe it's up to him. It's up to him. Why don't you all stand up to your feet? I know that it's not always the prettiest. I know that it's not always the slickest. I know that it's not always the cleanest. Grace is a mess. Grace is messy. And I have somebody in my life who says, I hate when you say that. It's not my family. But I hate when you say that. Church is messy. Ministry is messy. Grace is messy. If it's clean, it's sterilized, and we're not getting at anything, right? If you can't see the mess on the floor, you can't get it cleaned up. 
If you just paint over, if you put a rug over top of a spill, what happens? That spill eventually comes through. So I'm going to put another rug over it, and it's going to come through that, and I'm going to put another rug over it. And I'm never going to get to the spill. I'm never going to get to the person. I'm never going to get to be able to actually see God doing any changing because I'm always ministering. I'm always vacuuming the top layer. I'm not getting down to the spill. I'm not getting to the, to the mess. And Grace says, we're going to peel back those layers. We're going to be messy together. Our lives aren't going to be put together, but we all believe that we belong to the Holy Spirit. We belong to Jesus Christ. We've been saved by his blood. We've been made new by his resurrection. And I want to share that message with other people. So we're going to go back into a song. The song's called Build My Life, and we're going to build our lives on the foundation that we're wholly accepted. We've been wholly redeemed. Our behavior's not perfect yet but he's working on us and we're doing that together. We're doing that together. So go back and worship some more. If you need some prayer, Angela's in the back. She wants to pray with you. Um, other people will be back as well if, if you want to move. I don't know what you need prayer for this morning. Maybe it's, it's just a, a, an understanding of God. I've not been living in grace in this community and I want to. God, make that desire real for me. Maybe it's you have been living in grace you don't feel like you're doing anything in anybody else's life. Maybe you want to say, God, I want to do somebody, something in somebody else's life. God, put that desire in me. We sing a song that says, break my heart for where it breaks yours. God, break my heart for the things that you want to see made new in people. Do that for me so that I can go out and do it genuinely out of love and not out of a, a have to or out of a duty. So let's go back and let's, let's sing about building our life foundation on him. <laughs>